between the songs and the content of the word tonight, I will try to keep myself under wraps. No, there might be bursts of encouragement and enthusiasm coming your direction. We are in the second week of our series Foundations, and we are in Genesis chapter 1 and starting where everything starts. Here's where everything starts. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, guys, remember, we're used to this, but think with me, like really think seriously about this. Everything we know as reality, mountains, birds, dogs, sunsets, beaches, everything we know, our conscience, morality, ethics, truth, everything we know and experience rests on three words in the first sentence of Genesis of the Bible. Beginning, God created. Everything comes from that. As we consider foundations, the topic of our, the title of our series, as we trace down theological structures and go through courses, many of you know, A row of bricks or blocks is called a course. As we sift through each course and we get deeper and deeper, brick by brick, we come to the absolute bottom of everything, the footer, the foundation. Everything we know by faith and reason comes through these three things, beginning God created. Everything rests on this singular reality. Now the author, presumably Moses, penned these words through the guidance of the Holy Spirit and he attributes all existence, all things to God. Elohim. All of our understanding, our physical and our spiritual heritage, our moral behavior, our sexual identity, our gender, Differences between men and women, husbands and wives, roles, the responsibilities, the role that family plays in community, parenting, relationships to the environment, value differences between humans and animals, our code of ethics, standards of justice, racial differences, awarenesses of right and wrong, the value of human life, whether in utero or in hospice, either one. Civil justice, the standards by which all men and women, all of us, every one of us here and everyone who has ever touched foot on the earth, the values by which they will stand in judgment before God one day, all find their basis here, beginning God created. It's all rooted, it's all there. We know this, church, I know this. But there's something about studying the reality of it and you realize everything starts here. And once a person or a community or a civilization untethers from this reality, once 
a church or a person or a civilization disconnects a people, disconnects or untethers itself from this one reality, all knowledge, all morality, all identity, all law, all order, all purpose, all sanity, all salvation, all hope, completely and utterly forfeited. Notice I didn't say lost, because that makes it sound like something passive happened. But I said it's forfeited. If you untether yourself from this connection, you willfully forfeit. Law, order, sanity, hope is gone. You don't have to look too far, church. When Mary and I work with troubled kids, the biggest thing facing teenagers, the second leading cause of death, to teenagers in our country today is depression, despair, suicide. Second leading cause, right under car accidents. That is said to have gotten, some estimate, 30% higher during the whole COVID fiasco. You know why? No law, no structure, no rules, no hope. Now, some will say the opposite of what I'm saying. Some will say, and currently are, vehemently so, argue that it's God and religion that are at the root of our culture and our cultural dilemmas. Or that God and the rigidity of the Bible are at the root of depression and despair and cultural unrest and violence. They will say that morality and family structures and gender and sexual identity are social constructs and And they will propose salvation. I just read an article this week. They propose salvation for humanity through autonomy and self-rule. As if that's a newsflash. Church, autonomy and self-rule was the original salvation of somebody other than God. True? You can be your own boss, and you won't have to pay for it. It's all up to you. That's the original lie from the evil one. This is not new. Do you know, do you know what's going to make you free? Autonomy and self-rule. You can be your own boss, and you won't have to pay for it. Two lies. Has God really said, and you won't surely die? It's still being peddled today. Why are we purchasing that? Why are people buying that? What motivation is possibly offered for that? Well, here it is. A utopian society built on godless principles. A utopian society built that you can create all on your own. By the way, this has never been realized Never will. One day, it is preached, peace and happiness and freedom will be realized when every person is free to be whoever and whatever, whatever, cat, dog, putting litter boxes in elementary schools for children who identify as cats. All sanity. When you disconnect, beginning God 
created. You can be whoever and whatever you want with no constraints, no religion, no, no social pressure or morality. But thousands of years of documented history and the demolition of thousands of civilizations who have smashed themselves on this very rock says, done work. You hearing me? These promoted ideologies unveil the futility of these doctrines, and these three words expose their deceptive foolishness. Beginning, God created. It's true, yeah. It's true and good. Now remember our Philippians lens. Okay, remember we talked last week about we're going to go into Genesis with our Philippians lens. What will make for better societies? What will make us better citizens of whatever country we live? What will cause us to be the kind of people that truly benefit those around us? In other words, what will cause us to be discerning, to aid us in approving what is excellent? What will help us become like Christ, pure and blameless? How do we put God's attributes on display? What will make our love abound more and more? Why am I saying this? Because church, there are a whole slew of other churches. There's truth being peddled that will tell us that the way we get those things is by bending to the same cultural values that the world is submitting itself to. But the way that we actually get these things and our love abounds more and more is not conforming to the spineless, gelatinous, truth-bending adherence to wokeness. Our love will abound more and more with knowledge of this foundation. The beginning, God created. It's in these three words that we find both our purpose and our parameters. Our purpose and our guidelines. Our direction and our boundaries. Beginning, God created. If you were to summarize this whole first part of Genesis and our time together today, you could say it this way. God's existence is the foundation for all life and living. Let's look a little deeper into this introduction. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the original Hebrew, the words are actually the skies and the earth. It reads tohu bavohu. It rhymes. It's a poem. It's similar to Alpha and Omega. God created everything below and everything above. It means from one extent of everything to the other extent of everything and everything that lies in between. It's a beginning 
and the end, the skies and the earth and everything that comes between. And what we're to see is that nothing, absolutely nothing existed. This is hard for us even to imagine nothing existing. I was listening to R.C. Sproul talk about Genesis 1, and he said, you know, we'll go on vacation, and my, I'll ask my wife, what do you want to do? And she says, nothing. And he says, well, nothing is something. You can't just do nothing. If, if you mean sitting on a beach reading a book, that nothing is something. We have a hard time fathoming what nothingness is, but the reality is nothing existed. Zero, except for God himself. And then there was a beginning to everything. And God was already there. In the beginning, God. His presence is an assumed presence. The Bible doesn't start with a a doctrine of, here's how God exists, and, and an apology, apologeo for God and his existence, it assumes God existed before the beginning and he initiated it. It was him that brought it about. So in these opening words, beginning God created, the Bible tells us that God brought matter into existence. Matter did not exist. So I was watching some Richard Dawkins videos. He's the one of the key evolutionists in our world today. And he was talking about where matter might come from. And this is a problem because nobody knows where matter, how does this start? God brought it about. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Look at verse 2. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the deep. By the way, talk to anybody who struggles with depression, if you do any counseling at all, or some of us have close family members that have struggled with depression, some of us are struggling with depression right now, talk with a person who's struggling under the depth of darkness of depression, and you ask them, what do you feel? And you will heal here three things. There's no shape to my life. I'm empty and it's dark. Matter that just exists and it's void, it's empty. It has no form or shape and it's dark. And what we find from the book of Genesis is that those things existed. By the way, these are three things in ancient literature that are constantly there, these themes of complete and utter emptiness. Without God, they have zero meaning. But what we know from Genesis 1 is these three things existed. There's no form, there's void, emptiness, and darkness. And yet the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so what we know is that God created all matter and His The ESV translates it spirit. The NIV translates it breath. And so does the King James. That God's breath was hovering over this formless matter that He had created. But it has no form or no shape. And it's no no light. It's dark. 
What's interesting, church, is here's this matter that has no shape and God's, but it's alive. Why? Because of God's spirit. Because of his breath. Where did matter come from? It emanated from the life of God. You can't get life from no life. That's the problem of evolutionary biology. And they keep tracing it back and back and back. And now they're actually... This is why alien theory is becoming so popular. Because you have to have some kind of intelligent life. And maybe we were seeded by aliens. Well, then where did the aliens come from? But this matter existed because of God's breath. Because of His life. And again, the point here is that there was a beginning to all things and God preceded it. His eternal presence is the foundation. It is the assumption. In the beginning, God. He preceded the beginning and He initiated the beginning and He's breathing life into the beginning. He is both the purpose and the culmination of creation. He is both the source and the authority of everything. Church, this is what we're supposed to get here. God is the point. He's the point. Not created things. Animals are not the point. We are not the point. So many theologies want to make us the point. We're not the point. He is. And then this truth of God existing, creating matter, hovering over it, breathing life into it. By the way, Genesis later on, we'll, we'll talk about this, but when it talks about when animals, when he pulls his breath out of them, the animals go to the dirt. Everything has his life embedded in it. And when he pulls it, it doesn't have life. He is the source. And then this truth that he is the source and he is everything. He is life for every living thing. All of reality. That truth is pulled through the rest of the entire Bible like the main thread in a tapestry. Or... We could say it this way. This truth is our foundation. Everything builds on this for us, church. And it sets the stage, not just for the rest of the creation account, but the culmination of the creation account. So day seven. So the the book of Genesis starts with this idea that God is, and it's all about Him. And by the way, when we get to when we get to day seven, we're going to find out that God is, and it's all about Him. That's what seventh day is all about. He rested is more than He just took a really long nap because He was exhausted. It was He was celebrating His own glory. And so this truth, again, this God isness, is pulled through the rest of the creation account through the culmination of the creation account, the remainder of Genesis, the rest of the Bible, and all of life itself, right up until today. Now, let me be super clear. 
I'm not saying that everybody who believes this is smart and everybody who doesn't is an idiot. To believe what we're talking about is an act of faith. We are not smarter than other people. We have just received His grace. Because everybody has faith in something. We have faith in a way that the world was started. It's all faith. We have been graced with a gift of faith. And that ought to be, cause us to be very humble and very grateful. At the end of the day, all facts, all figures, all arguments, all apologetics, all hypothesis, all science, all science theory will lead every person, both from the most sec- secular person to the most sacred person, every person to a decision that is by faith. We believe, church, by faith, beginning God created. We believe that by faith. Hebrews 11.3 affirms this. The author of Hebrews says this, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. They were invisible. And they lived because of his breath, because of his spirit. And church, this knowledge believed in faith, hear me, it eliminates all other possibilities of origin and purpose. Hear that? When we say we believe this in faith, it eliminates the possibilities of origin and purpose found any place else. Well, maybe we evolved. No. Well, maybe we were seated here by aliens. No. Well, maybe there's multiple gods, and if you're just really sincere, no. Well, maybe our greatest sin is not being true to ourselves. No. Well, maybe we create our own purpose and meaning. This is what Richard Dawkins says. No. Well, maybe God is limited and He's learning right alongside of us. No. You you hear me? When we believe in faith that beginning God created, it eliminates all the other possibilities. We limit ourselves to say, no, this God did this. He is my foundation and my root and my life. Well, maybe God is an antiquated social construct and we need to shed this so that we can evolve socially and everybody can be free. No. You see, again, this knowledge that God created at the beginning eliminates other ideologies for us. It's really important that I say that. That may sound really narrow. Everybody's narrow, by the way. Even if you say there's multiple ways to God, that's very narrow. 
That's your perspective that it doesn't matter what you do. That's a narrow perspective. Everybody's narrow. I choose to allow God to define my narrow. Seeing as how it originates with him, what he says goes. When we hold to this truth, this absolute, this foundation, hear me, this knowledge provides us with all discernment. You see that? The minute we say, God, I believe you, you're the beginning, your life, your everything. The minute we step underneath that truth umbrella and we say that truth belongs to me, we naturally by consequence, are discerning. You, you following me? We have to say in faith no to everything else because God has said this is the way life is and we say yes to that and that makes us discerning. He gives us a lens. We look through all of life through that lens and we're smarter because of it. We're more discerning. And with this knowledge and discernment, Our love is giving a field in which to run so that it abounds more and more. That's good. And so now we've just covered, for the most part, the first seven words in Genesis 1. And it's here that we find our foundation beginning God. In other words, God's existence is the foundation for all life and living. And now let's pull that let's pull that through the next several verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse 3, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. So in the beginning, God created original matter. It was without form. It was empty and it was dark. And it was held together. It was imbued by his breath. And then for the first time in verse 3, we hear something we've never heard before. The words of God. And he says, let there be light. And kabow, kablam. Light. Light bursts into the universe. His light. His glory, his breath penetrate, his, his breath is holding matter together. And then he says, I'm going to step in. His word steps into the universe and light explodes. It's his glory. It's not the sun. The sun's not there yet. It's his glory. Through his word, enter the book of John. You excited yet? 
It's good. And so then this darkness, light, he creates, he separates the two, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Now this is this poetic rhythm that ends with this every time. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And there was evening and the morning. And it was good and it was good and it was good. The only time, we're going to get to this, spoiler alert, the only time it doesn't say, and there was evening and there was morning the seventh day, that doesn't exist there. There's a reason for that. But there's this rhythm, and there was evening and there was morning, and it was good, and that was this day. And so now we have this start of God ordering and then filling. First he orders, and then he fills. And so there's this, I never saw this before, super exciting. Thank you, Lord, for the Bible project. And so day one, he creates, separates light, dark. And then day two, sky from the water. So he says, separate the waters. We get too much into this, but he's talking about the firmament, right? So there's two layers of water. There's the earth that's a complete ball of water. Then he separates it like this greenhouse effect. And then there's sky in between. And so he creates a sky by separating waters. And then the day three, he allows the, the land, the, the globe part, the lower part, separate. Earth pushes up, and so now he differentiates between land and the ocean. And then plants burst up, that's day three. So that is his ordering. So first he orders, the first three day are ordering. They're these big general spaces. So first he creates the ability or the place, the sky, for the constellations. And then on day four, he fills that space. So where there is no order, he brings order on day one. And then on day three, he fills that ordering space. And so on day two, he creates this place where there's a sky. And then he fills that sky with all flying things, with birds. And then where he orders day three with the, the land and plants, and then on day six, he fills the, the land with plants and animals, ordering and filling. Thank you, Mother. <laughs> so we go through this ordering and filling Then there's this, again, there's this break in the pattern. So, order, fill, order, fill, order, fill, day one, two, three, four, five, six. And then the seventh day is set apart as different, holy. We should have learned this a long time ago. God orders and then fills and then he enjoys what he has created. Church, we are in his image. We are supposed to be ordering and then filling and then enjoying resting. He creates this place by ordering and filling and then he says with his created beings, I'm going to rest with you. This is why in Hebrews it talks about entering into his rest and day seven, guess what? There is no end. It's intended to last forever. It's this invitation, order, filling, resting, and day seven never ends. Yeah. 
Day seven is the goal of creation. Resting in the presence of God is the goal of all of creation. Now that gets messed up. Chapter three. Ian's going to talk about that. But first we need to understand that this is our original position. This ordering and filling. This is what we are created to do, church. And we get closer to this original intent when we're doing what God does. Ordering things and then filling them up. And then resting in our relational work that we've created the space to do. And so Sabbath doesn't look like, well, I can't tie my shoes. I can't carry this bed. I can't play baseball. I can't go to work. I can't do this. Sabbath becomes, I have created an atmosphere where I can enjoy relationships with God first and my people second, and I get to enter into his rest on the seventh day. And we need to take it more serious. It's a commandment. Enjoy the relationships. There is so much going on here, okay? So let me give you seven significant sevens, okay? This will anchor your faith. It does me. It's just so encouraging, life-giving, deepening. There's seven days. There's seven announcements of good or very good. There's seven Hebrew words in the opening verse. There's two times seven Hebrew words in verse 2, and then there's three times seven Hebrew words in verse 7. You know what the point is? The point is relationship with God. The, he, the author, through the power of the Holy Spirit, keeps saying seven, 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 in case you're missing it, seven. You know what the point is? It's the number of perfection. It's God himself. The point is resting, living, abiding with God. That's the point. You know what our foundation is, church? It's a call to live with Him forever. St. Augustine of Hippo says, You have made us for Yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in You. Because we've been made for fellowship with God. Do you want peace? Yeah, do you want true rest? I had to confess some sin to my brothers in a workshop this morning because I so often seek peace and rest other places than in, my, in the presence of the Lord and in the people that He's created me to be with. And the Lord says, I am your rest. Genesis is designed to show us that God is that He is. Genesis is designed to show us God's isness, that He is everything. He is the center, and His intent for us was to order our lives around Him, around relationship with Him. Or, we could say it this way, to build our lives upon the foundation of Him. But, but it's not just like this practical you know, reason that It's pragmatic. You work, and so we build our lives on you. It makes us better. We get more peace. No, He created us for true fellowship, for living and abiding in fellowship with Him. For His glory. So that we would put His attributes on display 
so that we would be little representatives that said, you look just like me, and that's awesome. That's what we were created for. This is a loving father who takes joy in his fumbling children looking like him and taking on his characteristics. We get that as parents, true? That's not always selfish, right? We just know it's good for them. God does that in full and complete purity. And so this purpose of Genesis is for us to see that God intends to share His creation with His images so that they can rule and rest with Him forever. And so this sets us up for our understanding of the two most important questions you will ever ask. Who is God and who am I in in relationship to Him? It answers these questions. Dr. Luke, in his book of Acts, 17th chapter, verse 28, starting in verse 24, says this, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel, and that word feel means verify by contact, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. Luke is summarizing my whole sermon today right here. Yet He is actually not far from each of us for... This is Genesis 1. In Him we live and move and have our being. Church, this is not just our theology. This is our identity. This is not just what we think. It's not the religion we hold to. It is who we are. As we start this conversation about foundations, and we're going to be getting into some other things that are theological, and we're going to be talking about important biblical truths, those all find their root here. This is not just what we think. It's who we are. We are created in His image to do what He does, to fill and to order and to rest and enjoy. And by doing that, We glorify Him. We put His attributes on display in being like Him, ordering, filling, and resting and enjoying relationships. We become like God. Church, and we do that in the simplest ways. Ian does this by drafting things on the computer and then making little plastic fidgety pieces. Joe does this by working for Johnny and moving concrete back and forth. What's he doing? He's ordering and filling. Nathan does this by training dogs, and Bob does it by measuring for carpet, and Mary does this by ordering our food and organizing things for our home, and Jordan does this by taking care of her little ones. She's ordering and then filling their little tiny minds with good things. 
Christian does this when he's over at Cummins at night and he's tapping away on the computer and figuring out the shapes and the spaces of things as an engineer. Right? Tim does this by building homes for people. He's ordering and then filling. Church, we don't just glorify God by being missionaries in South Africa someplace. We glorify God simply by acting in ways of ordering things and then filling them and then allowing those things to provide for us and then resting in the relationships that ordering and filling creates. Yeah, and so church, glorify God by filling up gas tanks for customers this week. By organizing and ordering and filling your little families and reading to your kids at night. And if God calls you to South Africa or Guatemala, go order and fill. Father in heaven, this lays the foundation for us in ways that maybe we have never thought about before. My hope is that your word has expanded our minds today and created a general enthusiasm for your greatness and your glory. And also, Lord, for the depth and the wisdom and the power of your word. That we would take great joy in being like you, in ordering and filling in the ways that you have called us to do just that. Putting your attributes on display. And so as we head into next week and we think about Genesis moving forward and the fact that you created men and women and that you have imbued us specifically with your image and breathed not just life but purpose into us, may we look forward to hearing more from you next week and hearing what it is you have called us to do and how we get to do it. That we would be inspired to put off sin and to put on holiness and righteousness to be like you. Literally, Lord, I pray for sin to fall out of our hands as we, as we consider your glory this week. I pray that marriages would find healing because we're putting off things that aren't what we're called to do and taking hold of your glory and who you've called us to be. For your glory and our joy, Lord, hear our prayers. In the name of Jesus Christ, our King and Creator. Amen.